Hello, and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Lorelai Weissel. I'm Brian Dawes, and I'm mourning the cold opens that we used to do. And I'm Cristolano. Look, we were so ready <laughs> to do a party cold open where we each assign ourselves one of the classes. And then we hit the stories, and Jay stopped being here, and we stopped having four people, and it was just a mess. And then we had Jenny on for a guest episode, and it felt weird to do a cold open there because we was like gonna spend the beginning of the episode introducing her. And now we just like haven't done a cold open in a while, and that's like valid, I guess. But like, <laughs> yeah, well, maybe we'll do cold opens again one day when uh when they've returned to us and graced us with our their presence again. Fair enough. It has been weird not having Jay on. This is the fifth episode in a row without Jay. Uh, yeah, because he got fired. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. You mean someone stole his job? You can't do the things that he did and expect to keep your job with the Vorthos cast. This is, this is a brutal cutthroat industry, and we have zero tolerance for the shenanigans that Jay pulled. Someone someone went on Twitter and corrected Jay about a piece of magic lore, and then thereby they magically assumed the role of lore contractor with Wizards of the Coast, and Jay was jettisoned into space. Look, that's like my job five times over by now. <laughs> uh, no, Jay, Jay's been taken off the story episodes because it's a conflict of interest with his contract work being the consulting lore master. I think it's because he probably read all of these stories like months ago and just doesn't feel like talking about them anymore. I mean, that's also valid, I guess. I guess. Um, But before we talk about our final magic story for this set, uh, we do have one little bit of news, which is that this past week we had a new art book released, Art of Magic the Gathering War of the Spark. This is part of the big art book series by James Wyatt. Uh, this is also the last of that series by James Wyatt. Um, between magic moving to three different worlds a year and just everything that has happened, um, producing these books is more difficult than ever. And so we are uh, going out with the end of the big Bolas arc. It is... Uh, Really, really cool, though. Uh, un- unlike the other books, which dealt with a plane and, and the world building, this is, uh, I-, I guess the best way to describe it is is the way uh, Rosewater described War of the Spark, which was uh, instead of taking place on a plane um, and-, and the way they built a set and a story based on a plane, it's an event set. So yes, it happens mostly on Ravnica. It also happens a little bit in Amonkhet and a little bit in the Meditation Realm. Um, but really the focus is the war uh, and and this day of battle against Nicobolus, the culmination of all his 60 years of plotting. And so the art book doesn't cover a world. It covers the history of Nicobolus. It covers... Uh, the history of his schemes, the things that have happened in his life, the characters he has intersected with. It is the story of these threads of plans that are woven together into the War of the Spark. It's a really unique and different take, and uh, 
I think it's pretty cool. It also includes like a whole bunch of concept pieces and art descriptions and stuff. Um, stuff that really the previous art books didn't have in them. They were mostly just card art and um, promotional art and regurgitated bits of Planeswalker's guides and, and, and other things so uh it's it's a it's a pretty unique experience as far as those art books go and obviously still has a gorgeous book sleeve and a ton of huge full page pieces of art it's a good book to go out on as much as i would love to have like eldraine and ikoria and all these new worlds you know we're, we're coming up on kaldheim and strixhaven and uh, it would be nice to have art books, and uh, I hope we still get a bunch of lore content. Like, they've been doing Planeswalker Guides again, and articles about the Legends. And if you miss the art books, those articles do hold basically all the same information you would get in an art book. Uh, and, you know, a lot of artists and official accounts post pretty high-res versions of the art. Uh, so you won't have, like, a single hardbound thing that you can buy and own and have around, which uh, I, as I, I personally really like having stuff, and so the art books are really good at being stuff that you can just, like, have around. They're really heavy when you move, though, which is an issue. But, uh, yeah, so that is available now. Uh, that kind of snuck up on us. Um, we'll be dedicating an episode to it and uh, the... Magic the Gathering Legends, a visual history art book. Well, we're going to pair those together in an episode uh, in a couple weeks when those are both out. Uh, so, uh, you know, if you don't pick up any of those, we're going to highlight the cool things from them uh, and uh, just talk about those kind of neat little ancillary things. For now, we need to talk about the last Zendikar Rising story titled The Two Guardians. Gosh, I wonder who those could be. Oh. It's uh, Nissa and Nahiri, by the way. Um. <laughs> Last week's main set story, we kind of left off on this cliffhanger with uh, Jace and Nahiri trying to escape the Singing City and Nissa's elementals and uh, Nissa getting to the gates of the city first and blocking their escape. So uh, this opens in... Uh, Nissa's own head thinking about what it means that she's a planeswalker what her life would have been like if she hadn't been a planeswalker what it means that Zendikar is her home kind of reflecting on the things that have gone well and gone poorly in her life she recognizes she's made a lot of mistakes um and especially to Zendikar she is the one who released the Eldrazi Titans um that is that is not something she can go and change she has to live with that and one of the things she realizes is that despite all those problems uh, and all the harm she has caused, Zendikar still stands with her. Zendikar lends her her power and, especially in this set, obeys her commands. And uh, there is a sense of belonging on Zendikar that she hasn't really ever found anywhere else. And she once again has uh, a recurring moment, the the what would Gideon do moment, WWGD. <laughs> well, he would die, but that's a different story. <laughs> yeah. Rude. <laughs> um, and for the first time in the set, um, instead of saying, okay, what would Gideon do and trying to do that, um, she asks, what would Gideon do and... She she thinks, well, Gideon would say it's time for her to start making her own decisions. 
she is she doesn't need to follow in anybody's example she is who she is she is powerful and capable and knows what she wants and knows what she needs to do and apparently it's beat the crap out of nahiri and jace and get the lithoform core at all costs it's not even a close fight either uh no not at all J- jace and nahiri are reeling for for the first moment ever in her life nahiri is doubting her power she realizes hey i might not have what it takes to win this fight uh a person she's a person who's always been confident in her abilities always been certain that she was doing the correct thing and this is the first moment where she's not and jace is just very frustrated and (laughs) he he seems really sad in this whole story because he doesn't want to be fighting his friend and he knows he screwed up um but he starts conjuring all these illusions of eldrazi and wildfires and uh nahiri reminds herself that you know like Yeah, things look dire, but she's the goddamn guardian of Zendikar, and she commands the stone, and nothing outlasts the stone. So she retreats back into the Singing City, and slams the gates shut with her lithomancy, and starts to prepare for a counterattack. And she doesn't notice that uh, a tiny little boy named Jace follows her, uh, under the cover of uh, Illusory Mist. Jace handles conflict in the story about as well as I do. Uh, He does a lot of uh, deflection and putting up a lot of barriers and uh, tries to change the subject to something else. I appreciate (laughs) that. Very relatable. Uh, Yeah, and so Nahiri is here trying to rebuild uh, this kind of fortified dome of stone around her. uh, A defensive position that she can attack Nissa's elementals from and Jace steps in and is like hey Nahiri we can we can do something about this we can take the core to Ravnica talk to Nissa about it we can like figure this out without violence and Nahiri is like no Jace you suck and you're weak and I don't need you and I'm not taking this anywhere because I know what I'm doing is right and she summons all these hedrons which start uh, whirling around him, much like the aligned Hedron network that he helped build to trap Ulamog, which I thought was amusing, uh, echoing of action. And this is the um, Nahiri's binding as the card. Yes. Yeah, this is that story spotlight where uh, she seals him in a Hedron prison. Uh, and then Nahiri has a moment where. She sees her old mentor, Soren Markov. But yeah, Nahiri sees this image of Soren, and Soren is looking smug and pretty, and he's wearing his jacket, and it just drives Nahiri absolutely mad. And she tries to crush him with a stone foot, and it just, he dissipates and then reappears, which is honestly within Soren's, like, skill set. That's something Soren would do. Uh, and then Nahiri reaches out to the stones under Soren's feet and attempts to pull them out from underneath them and then realizes that he's not even putting any weight on the stones. And she recognizes at that moment that this was an illusion. Jace was there. He was gotcha. making his illusions. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, he used that opportunity to seize control of her mind. And I don't think Jace liked that very much. I can tell you Nahiri didn't. 
Oh, yeah. Well, Nahiri definitely didn't. But Jace also really did not like that. He didn't like using his power in that way. Uh, especially, you know, he has these memories now of growing up with Alhamaret and like what that sort of experience was like. And I think it's really changed him as a person. And he does not want to be doing this, but he knows he has to. And he uses that moment to reach in and grab the lithiform core, which tempts him. He hears those voices Nahiri was hearing and he can tell, like, he can use this form, this uh, lithoform core to do very powerful things. Uh, but he resists it. And he knows, like, he can't fall sway to that. Uh, and he uses Nahiri, uh, reaching out and uses her power from her. He kind of forces her to open back up the city so that he can escape with the core. I, I don't know the, the that that moment of temptation is really cool because it's just like images that he sees uh, and the feeling that he can do anything with this core. He never has to fight again. He can just solve all his problems on this world and any world because he has that power. Are we sure Liliana didn't destroy the chain veil? Like maybe <laughs> Nahiri just transformed it into this thing. Great power wants to be used. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Thank you, Uncle Ben. <laughs> no, that that's with great power comes great responsibility. I feel like together you said that. The, <laughs> the idea was there. I, I really did like that moment. I like Jace having that moment of temptation, especially because I think a Jace of maybe a year or two ago would have absolutely just gone with it. He would have planeswalked out of there with that core, and he would have made use of it. Well, he would have at least studied it, but yeah. Uh, anyway, so he goes back out to the singing, uh, back out outside the singing city to try and talk to Nahiri, and gets immediately pummeled to the ground by Ashaya, who pins him down. He thinks that he can he can reason with Nissa, and clearly, it's not what her interest is in. Uh, right now because Ashaya plucks the core from uh, Jace and yeets it over to Nissa. That's more of a Kobe, not a yeet. Accuracy. It's a a thing. I mean... Yeah, I wouldn't call it a yeet. There was more directionality there. Yeah. I guess. Did I break you, Lorelai? I'm sorry. (laughs) No, I'm just... So the the image in my head, it was... I just started thinking about, like, how unfair it would be if Ashaya played basketball because it's huge. Uh, And that's... That's... So Ashaya is is Shaq. (laughs) No, I... I, Like, more like one of the Monstars from Space Jam. Same difference. That caliber... It's not the same difference. And, I mean, Shaq was bigger than all of the, the players on Space Jam, so... That's true. Well, not at the end when Michael Jordan's arm got really long. But, well, I mean, I, I guess sorry, shouldn't have said that. Spoilers for Space Jam. <laughs> <laughs> Only 20-something oh. years late. Uh, the, the most important part of Space Jam is that Bill Murray, the person, saves the day. They just put Bill Murray in that movie to be Bill Murray in, like, two scenes. It's great. That movie, honestly, is very fun. It's I really enjoyable. It. I liked yep. it a lot. Like, as a child and as an adult, I own the DVD. It's great. Anyway. I think we need to finish the Space Jam aside in our discussion of Magic the Gathering lore. I'm so sorry. I'm just now really excited for the secret layer Space Jam. That was not your fault. That was my ADHD brain jumping off on a tangent. Um, 
So Jay starts up with uh, this uh, psychic conversation with Nyssa, and she reluctantly lets him in. And, uh, you know, he tries to convince her not to destroy the core, not to use the core, to give the core back. Hey, he and Nyssa should work together. Nahiri said it wouldn't be useful off-plane. Nyssa's like, hey, we might destroy Ravnica. You can't trust what Nahiri says. Um, and then she feels Jay starting to creep into her mind to try and force her to give the core back. Because Jace, again, is desperate here and doesn't see a way out of destroying Zendikar other than to take the core. So she cuts off the connection with him. It's really heartbreaking. It's a very sad moment. Yeah, because she, like, she also thinks about the Gatewatch and Gideon dying and losing Chandra's love and remembering that the Gatewatch was a group of people that she felt like she belonged with and then losing that and like there's a lot of conflict in her head. Then she hears a voice, and it's not Jace. Because it's coming from the core. And we've had uh, whispers from the core throughout previous stories. Uh, Nahiri couldn't hear them. Jace couldn't really hear them. And Nyssa realizes this is the voice of Zendikar itself. The plane is speaking through the core. And, and the voice that Nahiri couldn't quite grasp is the voice of the world that she thought she was protecting. She goes on this whole conversation because she realizes that Zendikar is right there with her, that it is offering uh, their unified power. And Nahiri comes back out of the Singing City and is just beating the shit out of Elementals. She is angry. Capital angry. No talk her because it's kill time. And I want to read some quotes from the story because they're very 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 good so we're going to start with uh nissa coming out of the singing city and confronting this about the core i knew this plane when it was whole nahiri shouted and you want to cling to the broken pieces of it nissa studied her adversary unsure of what to say nahiri was dusty and bleeding but her anger and determination were indomitable in that moment nissa realized how alone she was what would gideon do she thought and then caught herself. No, what would I do? Trust your strength, whispered the power in her hands. Broken doesn't mean weak, Nahiri, replied Nyssa. Broken doesn't mean that there isn't beauty or redemption. So says the broken planeswalker, retorted Nahiri, who destroys everything she touches. Nyssa tightened her grip around the core. The words stung, but not as badly as they once would have because behind Nahiri's cruel expression, Nyssa saw fear. And in that moment, Nyssa knew exactly what she would do. I will protect my home, my family. I will try and try again until I get this right. Broken doesn't mean a life is not worth living, Nyssa said, standing tall, staring straight at the Lithomancer. You are what Zendikar once was, Nahiri. I am what it is now. And, like, this whole metaphor of brokenness, but not uselessness, and that it's okay to be broken because that doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you, that doesn't mean that you can't continue fighting, that doesn't mean that you're irredeemable, that things can't be fixed. Scars can remain, but that doesn't mean you can't move to the future. And it's this, like, really good moment. I just love this moment so much. Uh, it is a great moment, and I also love how this is such a black-green planeswalker 
moment to be having, which I really appreciated too. Like you can see the color pie sort of working within this character now. Uh, you can see that black color pie sort of in there, um, just in her self-determination and her belief that she has this power now and she has this confidence to move forward. Um, the line there, you read it, was uh, because behind Nahiri's cruel expe- ex- expression, Nissa saw fear. So now she can see, like, I can use this power for a purpose. And I'm using it to scare the shit out of Nahiri and let her know who's boss. Yeah, and so Nissa connects with the ley line, the so Nissa connects with the ley lines of Zendikar, you know, a world she knows intimately and and knows how to connect with in this way. And this is this is what this device in the Singing City was supposed to do with the core, but Nissa can do it herself. She doesn't need the McKinney Empire's toys, uh, so she channels the core's power through the plane, and she imagines a Zendikar without the blight of the Eldrazi. Scarred and broken, but still beautiful. And there's just a flash of light and a gust of wind and all this power. And then panic sets in. Because Nyssa looks around and the singing city has been reduced to ash. And the forest around them has been reduced to ash. And the land just looks gray and black and broken. And all the elementals are laying on the ground. And for a moment, she thinks that she screwed up. But not this time. She didn't screw up this time. Not like the last time when she really screwed up and released Eldrazi. So that's a good moment. Yeah. And she starts to feel this pulse of incredible power from within the plane. And regrowth all over Zendikar erupts out of the ground, reclaiming the wastes. Haha, <laughs> that's a card. And healing, um, especially uh, calls out Balaged, her home, which was devastated by Ulamog, is regrowing magically at incredible speeds. And she looks around and the elementals start to perk up again and saplings start to grow out of the dust around her. And she realizes that Zandakar's her home and she wants to really just go exist in it and she runs off to Balaged, and Jace is like, well, I could call after her, but, you know, let her go. She's She did the thing. And uh, he picks up the inert core, which is no longer thrumming with power. Uh, and uh, Nahiri approaches him and just is so mean. <laughs> she she just, like, yells at him. It's like, that wasn't, that was not Nissa's power to use. Jace, you screwed everything up everything you try to get involved in becomes ruined you're a mess you're both a mess i hate you both and she planes walks away uh and jace is left standing there with the core realizing that yeah he has made a lot of mistakes nahiri is right about that he is burdened with a lot of guilt uh and this situation you know did not get resolved by his own power he he screwed up here but you know like nissa said broken doesn't mean that he can't set things right, that he can't mend things. And, you know, as much as he messed things up, maybe they can be fixed. The end. That's the story of Zendikar Rising. And, yeah, I think it ends on on a, a very summarizing note of what Zendikar Rising really is, uh, that broken things could be redeemed. That is the story of Zendikar now. 
it's also the story of the Zendikar blocks because like this set definitely redeemed a battle for Zendikar, but it also included some broken things. So it like really serves the meta narrative too. I, I gotta say, Almanath is not the card that I expected to uh, <laughs> no. be broken. I I honestly expected Lotus Cobra. I I was really surprised when I saw that it was getting reprinted. Yeah, I guess we need to uh, talk about how we felt about this story and I guess all of the stories now. Yeah, I, I think we're gonna let's split discussion into let's let's focus on this set, uh, so all these stories, and uh, and then we can talk about thoughts on this new system this new uh process for distributing magic story content um so set as a whole brian thoughts i like them um i i thought they they gave a lot more insight as to nahiri's line of thinking um even though it's a little bit different than what i was expecting it it definitely made sense um, so that was uh, satisfying to me, um, even though I wasn't super happy with, you know, how they dev- decided to, uh, you know, characterize her. But, you know, that happens sometimes. It, it's like it's kind of like the the Luca situation again, where um, you, you expect one thing of a character and it's it's not what you were expecting, but it's actually well done. So you don't mind it as much. Even though I guess some people would have their own problems with Luca, but that that's another thing. That's another story. Um, I definitely liked um, the the feeling of closure that um, it ended with. It didn't feel like a complete cliffhanger. There was a a sense of completion with the story. Um, even though I do have a, a single question: um, Is the royal gone forever, or is it is Zendikar healed, or what? what what's what's the deal there? But other than that. It, there was a really good sense of completion there, so I'm I'm very happy with that. But yeah, I I liked the story. They were I, I liked it. I felt that they were well written, and I I enjoyed them. Chris, thoughts about the Zendikar Rising story? I uh, I think it was largely successful. I think it was a very good return to the practice of web fiction in the sense of like from a story perspective. I think this was good. I think people are going to read it and enjoy it. I think that it had a lot of great moments, uh, little moments within the story for the five main set story. Um, And then each of those individual four character-focused stories we got were fantastic. Uh, I thought that they were really well done, really well written, really interesting character studies. I think that with the... Add like the advantage that comes of the weekly story installments. Uh, we also do lose a little bit of, I want to say, sort of like the richness and depth that we could get from the novella structure that we had in terms of the story itself. Uh, in the sense that I did enjoy that there was a conclusion ending, but it felt kind of like I was bouncing around from characters a lot within the the main five episodes, which felt. I, I don't want to say, like, distracting, but it also felt like I really wanted to be able to sit with one of those characters for just a little bit longer. Like, I wanted a little bit more time with each of them than I think the stories really gave us because of the fact that they were released every week and they could only contain so much per episode. And we kind of wanted to see everyone's perspective in every episode uh, of the three main characters. And so, like, 
I really wanted to just have like a full day or a full story of just the perspective of one of the characters and really go deep into how they're, what they're thinking and feeling and, and all of that and get a little bit more into that. Yeah, I think I think the biggest criticism I saw for Zendikar Rising story is that uh, it was kind of short and ended quicker than people expected. Which, uh, yeah, we haven't had a set with only five stories in it since Rivals of Ixalan, but that was also part of a block and built off of, I think, like eight or ten stories before it. I don't remember the exact number. And this was a whole set story uh, told at once. This is also just like a smaller story, which is one of the things I really liked about it. This is Mm -hmm. uh, largely character driven, right? Like the stakes that we're working with is Zendikar itself. Like the world could be destroyed here or at least irreparably, there we go, uh, broken, um, irreparable damage done to Zendikar but that's not the big action or conflict or tension um the action and conflict and tension is between Jace and Nyssa and Nahiri and the way they each approach this situation and most of the conflict is between their thoughts and not necessarily these big sweeping plot things you know, th- this story isn't one that is going to have far-reaching implications into other uh, other worlds. This is a very local story. This is not a story where, you know, you know, part, part of the thing with this set getting a, a, a pretty clean ending to its story is that this isn't building up to something greater. This was its own little local story between these characters, uh, a, a small, intimate setting among some of the bigger world stories. So, like, especially with, like, uh, Ikoria, we have set up for something. Maybe. You know, you know, we have a big mystery left over from Ikoria, is what I mean. You know, this voice in the Ozolith. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, while we didn't get uh, anything more than a story summary article for Theros Beyond Death, it left us with, you know, Elspeth is alive again, and being pursued by Calix and Ashiok is off to New Frexia. Those are all threads that lead into the future. And uh, Eldrain left us with, uh, you know, Oko's still out there. The twins are now planeswalkers. Garrick is cured. This set doesn't really have those kinds of mysteries. Yeah, like, yeah, Nahiri left, but there's no hints about where she's going or what she's going to do next. Uh... Nissa seems pretty content by the end of the story. Jace has an idea of the lesson he should have learned. It's a small excursion for him. So it's uh it's smaller. And this is also the first story we've had Gatewatch members since uh, War of the Spark uh, with uh, Jace and Nissa in it. But also it wasn't like a big Gatewatch story. It's kind of like it's a Gatewatch story without being a Gatewatch story because it's so is rejecting the Gatewatch throughout the story in a way yeah it is a it is a story that shows two quote members of the Gatewatch fighting each other at one point in time yeah it yeah it feels very uh i don't want to say like it's a goodbye to the Gatewatch, but it's sort of just like a hey here's where the Gatewatch is right now not good not a good situation uh it's well their whole position is pretty complicated right mm-hmm. 
they had Liliana in their ranks, and turns out she was working for Bolas. Um, they have a couple new members. They they were fighting Bolas, right? You know that was their goal. Um, you know they dealt with the Eldrazi, and then they were following all these threads that led to the War of the Spark, and then they won. And what do you do after that? Um, I don't know. This is one of the things that happens after that. With without a big enemy to fight, you know, Nissa goes back to Zendikar and gets wrapped up in Zendikar stuff again. Jace is like thirsty for a mystery. <laughs> I obviously have a really unique perspective on any magic fiction. You know, I I wrote for this set when Planeswalkers were involved. I I write them for Arena, so I am I am coming at this with a lot of foreknowledge and a lot of insight into the characters, which is not something that anybody else is going to really have access to from that kind of um, perspective. But uh, stories like this that really hinge on character, I really like. I I love character-driven stories. So that's, uh, I think, the thing I appreciated most about this. And uh, I loved um, A.T. Greenblatt's characterization of all three of these Planeswalkers. I agree. I also think the fight scenes were pretty cool. It was fun to have fight scenes around Planeswalkers that were like, they felt like... Well, they also felt like magic games, mm-hmm. kind of. Like, yeah. you know, you have Nyssa summoning the elemental and Nahiri using a removal spell. And you have Jace casting fog. Um, like, <laughs> it felt like it felt like watching magic duels, which was really cool. And I like that a lot. So I think at this point in the episode, uh, let's talk about like the story structure. So this is this is a change. We had gotten uh, a couple hardback novels last year and... Uh, with Eldraine and Ikoria had moved back to, um, yeah, back to. I was about to say back to. Magic never did this before, but we did have the the novella ebooks uh, in Return to Ravnica and OG Theros. So uh, this is a model that was being tried again. And so we had a Wilder Quest by Kate Elliott and um, uh, what was the Ikoria novella name? Sundered Bond. Sundered Bond. There we go by Django Wexler. Um, and and this is this is moving magic story back onto the mothership, uh, back to weekly stories. Uh, so I, I guess let's focus. Let's uh, th- thoughts about the return of magic story to the website. Um, I liked it. I thought it was well executed. I'm not. I'm not super sure that I was uh, the biggest fan of them having the side stories and the main stories, but I guess. Getting two stories a week was actually nice, so I guess I can't be too upset about it. Um, I do like how they gave us the main story with... They gave us the side stories that were directly, in, or directly I, I say in quotation marks, involved with their main story in that these characters from the side stories were directly involved with portions of the main story. It's interesting, and like I'm willing to see how it goes. Like I'm not going to throw it completely under the bus because of the the side stories being different from the main stories. But like I said, it, it wasn't my favorite thing. But I I'm not. It wasn't awful, so I'm not going to complain about it too much. Um, but I do think the quality of both of them were great, and I enjoyed them. I sort of I sort of mentioned a little bit about how I felt about this model uh, earlier when I was talking about the story specifically, um, and this is a thing that I I knew to expect, and I kind of I I feel like I remember I don't want to say warning, but I feel feel like I used my final thought uh, shortly after it was announced that we were returning to web fiction to like tell people like hey this is gonna be different from the novella structure we had before, 
the stories are going to be different. And I think that that was true. Um, the stories were very different than the novella stories were. It felt much more fast-paced. It felt shorter. And it felt like a lot of things were broken up in places that made sense for the story, but also felt like they were broken up in those places to have five episodes of about equal length versus just focusing on the story being written in a way to tell the whole story in a certain span. I think that that is a thing to just be aware of, like the difference, the bonuses and minuses or pluses and minuses of story being serialized web fiction versus novella release or book release. Um, there are going to be things that are better, like things that we enjoyed from the novella process or from the novellas that we can't really get from weekly stories. Uh, I do think that giving us the side stories was perfect. Like that is exactly what I wanted to help me flesh out the world a little bit or flesh out the world. Um, don't flush the world unless you're casting into the Royal because it looks like you're flushing things. All right. Come on. Toilet bowl plane. When uh, oh, we already God. have the, you know, we had the, the bowl islands and you know, there's just one step away from that in Zendikar. Fair. But yeah, I think that, um, A.T. Greenblatt did a great job with characterization, and I think that she wrote good five short stories. I feel like there's going to be things I miss from just being able to sit down and devour a novella and read in that sort of structure with that length. And just going to have to not have that, which is fine, because I think that this model is also very good. It's accessible. It's easy to read. I think the Side stories, like I was saying, are a perfect addition to it because they help flesh out the world. And they also let people like me who enjoy really sort of dense storytelling in small formats get that. Like, I loved uh, the story of Obun. That was so good. And it was so, like, just well put together. And then Hunger was also very good, even though I wasn't here to talk about it last week. And just having those sort of stories was great. Yeah, so with this structure, something that was new was that we had the main set story by one author, and then we had side stories by other authors. So we had uh, a single author for the two Akiri and Zareth stories, and then an author, a different author for the Obun story, and a different author for the um, uh, Anawan story. Not, not to be the... Oh, I'm a freelance writer, so obviously I like that more writers get opportunities here, person. But more writers get opportunities here. And, you know, Magic just had, I think it's first black author for Magic Fiction, I think. I can't remember any others, but... And, uh, you know, non-binary authors for the first time. It's a lot of opportunities at a lower cost, right? So the problem with, like... like you look back at the War of the Spark novels. Greg Wiseman gets those because he's a big industry name. You want a big industry name attached to your novel to sell the novel. The novellas and web fiction that were established, um, starting with Dominaria, those are pieces that were written by established writers. You know, um, we had uh, Kate Elliott got to write multiple stories for Magic. Uh, she's been writing successful stories for years and years and years and years uh we've had up-and-coming authors you know we hit we have but but each set only was gave the opportunity for one 
author. We got four authors for this set, uh, which is, um, you know, four times as many. That is, that is more people who um, both get to do work and get to have stories published. This is this is uh, uh, portfolio stuff. This is resume stuff that these authors now have from a major gaming company, uh, which is cool. I, I would love to see this kind of initiative continue, especially reaching out to minority authors. You know, there was a big call about that back in June. These are some of the hires from that. That's very exciting to me. And yes, these stories were all very high quality. And I think there is uh, to not, I, I guess I'm bringing up this point because Carrie is not here this week, despite uh, the fact <laughs> that they were like, oh, I, here's this thought that I want to finish next week. And now they're not here this week. Carrie had brought up and had to turn over like, hey, you know, this this turned out great now, but how does this quality get man- maintained into the future? How does um, magic as a brand and canon as world building, um, how does that get maintained and tracked through the future? I'm not in a position to really say anything about that, but I can say that I hope it continues to be good. I am optimistic. Um, obviously, uh, I have no words for what may or may not happen with story content and call time. <laughs> but, you know, if this is something that continues, I would like that personally. Um, just just having free magic story is nice. The novellas were a small barrier to entry, but they are a barrier to entry. Um, having them on the mothership localizes them in one location rather than having to go to external websites to purchase a thing or like sign up for a newsletter i still that's still still the weirdest way to to give out magic story (laughs) it's better to put the magic story in the booklets that come with your uh your bundle than it is to put it in an email newsletter from a publisher let's just be real for over 20 years anyway um if you want to read gathering storm and you should because it's wonderful by Django wexler um the the mtg wiki has links to all the stories uh so just use that uh but uh yeah i like this model i like the set um i think this answered a lot of the concerns people had um you know you know getting getting magic back for free getting magic back on the website getting back to weekly stories getting more side stories uh because people want to hear more from people on the planes uh zendika rising did all this um this is wizards of the coast directly addressing things that the community asked for and desired and that's great to see that is something we've seen before from um the vortho side of things you know we uh, a couple years ago put out a whole episode like hey things aren't great right now here's some suggestions to clean things up a little bit better we have a new story page that is a lot more organized than it used to be those changes are nice it's nice to see good changes happening that uh and it's good to see community concerns being addressed, and it's good to see a lot of uh, new authors brought into Magic, and uh, you know a lot of unique voices because that that will color the stories more than having a small suite of recurring writers or having all the stories written by the same internal team. This is uh, bringing a lot more to Magic than it could have found under any other system which uh, I think is where we're going to leave off that episode. Where, uh, yeah, you know, story was broken, but that doesn't mean that it can't be fixed. Uh, and and we are you know, <sighs> we, we are at the moment. What? Why are you sighing? Was that cheesy? Was that too cheesy for you? I am lactose intolerant, Lorelai. 
Ah, so any cheese is too cheesy for you. <laughs> Great. Oh, no wonder you hate my jokes. <laughs> oh, oh. No, I know you appreciate my humor. <laughs> Left. Okay, we have a good comment from our live listen, but are you lactose intolerant? I am absolutely intolerant of that comment. <laughs> uh, so I, I did not actually become a scientist, a biologist uh, after college. I, I became an artist instead. Uh, but I'm pretty sure that lactose is not a sugar, an actual sugar. Any biologists out there, um, you know, you know, uh, biochemists, whatever. If lactose, uh, the, the funniest sugar molecule exists, please let me know because that would be a cool fact. Um, but otherwise, it's time for final thoughts. And my final thought this week is that I finally, after a year-long quest, have purchased a leather jacket. <gasps> it's really good. I found a, nice. found a seller on Etsy who's uh, going to be customizing to my measurements. And uh, I wasn't quite fond of the studs that were on the jacket. So, uh, you know, that's that's something else I've been customizing. So they're they're better looking studs. The the studs I'm getting on the jacket match my fingerless leather gloves, which should tell you a lot about the kind of dyke I aspire to be. And I'm very excited. Uh, it should be here hopefully before the end of the month, if not early November. Uh, I'm very excited. Gonna look so gay. My final thought is, uh, huh. It's it's been a long week. It, it's it's just been a long mm-hmm. it's been a long couple months. Let's just put it like that. It, it's honestly, it's been a long couple years since March. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my brain is fried. Uh, yeah. So that's my final thought. My final thought is uh, going to be that I wasn't here last week and I missed out on a lot of fun and it's very sad. But I had a lot going on, and I did though. I did download the early access for Baldur's Gate 3 and I played with it a little bit and it's very fun but I'm about to have to spend a lot of money upgrading my computer to make it run appropriately. Also, I've been listening to a lot of K-pop. Those are two very unrelated final thoughts but I wanted to throw that out there because I would love recommendations from the listeners for what K-pop I should check out. I listen to it a lot when I play games. It makes me a better gamer. I don't know how. (laughs) All right. Any of you folks out there have K-pop recommendations for Chris, you can head over to patreon.com slash Vorthoscast and help support the show today. Uh, donating on Patreon gets you access to our Discord community and very close access to Chris for your K-pop recommendations, where we have Vorthoses from around the world uh, enjoying magic, enjoying Baldur's Gate 3, doing lots of cool things. We've got a wonderful little community full of wonderful little people. And um, I actually don't know how tall any of you are. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, we are very soon heading into Commander Legends previews. You know, this is the big Vorthos product of the year. If you want a community where you're going to have a lot of excited and engaging discussions about magic story, old and new, characters, old and new, card designs, old and new, Commander, Brawl, Cubes, anything... Our Discord is where you want to be. And, uh, as we mentioned earlier, uh, we do have a higher tier that lets you be a live listener, which means you get to be with us when we record our podcasts. It means you get to chat with us before and after the show. You get to hear, you know, some screw-ups that might not make it to the final episode that make us laugh a lot regardless. And you get 
access to whatever the episode is about a couple days before everybody else. So you get your own... I was about to say sneak preview, but it's just the whole thing. You're actually getting more than the people who listen to us after publication get. So it's like a sneak full view. I'm, You're doing you know your what? best. Forget it. I'm, don't worry about it. Did, did you <laughs> mention that we record at 7 p.m. on Thursdays usually? No, but you just did. I did, which would mean uh, if you are in different time zones, that can be kind of inconvenient, and we understand it. For example, if you are in, let's say, like Germany right now, it is after 2 a.m., and you should probably go to bed. You don't have to listen to Chris. Yeah, he's not your your dad or your boss. That is going to be all for this week. Thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been the Vorthos Cast.